3: Hi, I'm Ethan Adelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs. But any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drug. One of the most popular episodes of Psychoactive to date has been the one where I invited my friend Julie Holland to serve as my co-host and answer questions with me from you, the audience. So we're going to record another one of those episodes and we need your questions. Leave us a voicemail with a question as detailed as possible at 1 833 779 2460, or you can record a voice memo and send it to psychoactive at protozoa.com. I'm sure it's going to be a great second go at this. Hello, psychoactive listeners. So, our guest today is Congresswoman Nancy Mace. She's a freshman member of Congress, she's a Republican. And she's recently introduced a bill to legalize marijuana at the federal level. Now, before I ask her to join us, I wanted to talk briefly with Kyle Jaeger, a journalist for the online publication Marijuana Moment, who's been covering developments on Capitol Hill regarding marijuana. So, Kyle, uh, thanks so much for joining me on Psychoactive. So here's Nancy Mace, my guest today, who's introduced, you know, a marijuana legalization bill, first Republican, I think first Republican to introduce such a bill and certainly to be running with it. But there's other bills out there. There's there's that Schumer bill. There's the Jerry Nadler-Moore Act. There's safe banking. What is the state of play? Can you tell us first on the marijuana legalization bills before we get into the banking stuff?
4: So we do have these three major bills in play. Um, I think the more momentum that this issue has generated, the more we've seen divergent and increasingly bipartisan ideas about what a legalization framework should look like. And so you do have the uh, the bill from House Judiciary Chairman Jared Nadler, um, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act or the MORE Act, uh, which cleared the House historically in uh, December 2020. And has since passed a committee this session in September 2021. Um, And then, like you said, we have the bill from Senate Majority Leader Leader Chuck Schumer, um, the CAWA or the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, which we saw a draft version of that released last year and uh, and the leader has talked about uh, introducing it, hopefully in, in April. But um, then, as you as as you mentioned, we had this uh, Republican-led bill sponsored by uh, Congresswoman Nancy Mays, her State Reforms Act, which really generated a lot of excitement. Just you know, by virtue of a Republican leading on this issue is you know the the main point there. And you saw cannabis stocks immediate rally. But um, in any case, you know, we don't we don't have the text of the Schumer bill yet. So it's kind of hard to say where, you know, votes might lie on that issue. But um, yeah, those are the three main bills. And and they're uh, fundamentally fairly similar. I mean, all of them would remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act, they would deschedule it. So that would enforce legalization on states. And then where they diverge is on, you know, uh tax revenue issues, you know, who should be in charge of regulating the markets? Um, where would revenue go toward? Um, it's very nuanced, and, but like the overall objectives are, are ultimately, I would say, the same. Um, and so then, you know, as you mentioned, there's a the Safe Banking Act, which would very simply provide protections for financial institutions that work with state legal cannabis businesses against being penalized by federal regulators. And so that's viewed as a more industry friendly, incremental reform, although, you know, it's, it's chief sponsor in the House. Congressman Perlmutter has really made a point to, to stress. Hey, this bill is also about equity, you know, providing, you know, provides opportunities and avenues for small and minority-owned businesses to get the capital to participate in the market, which would help reduce this disparity that we've seen, not just under criminalization, but even in legal markets. And so the momentum here is clear. The fact that you're seeing this increasing bipartisan interest, like that's, that's a really encouraging sign for stakeholders, for advocates, for everyone. But that means more opinions. And that means coming up with passable legislation might be, might become a little bit more complicated.
3: Complicated. Kyle, so the Moore Act, Jerry Nadler's bill, that passed a couple of years ago, I think with all but five or six Democrats on board and all but five or six Republicans against, do you think it's going to pass by somewhat similar margins this time around?
4: I would predict so, if not a little bit more. I mean, they've had more time to digest the various provisions and more time to, to consider, you know, what this reform would accomplish.
3: And the odds are that could happen sometime in March of this year?
4: That's what we're hearing. Yeah, we're, we're hearing that the the floor vote on the more, which would be the second time that it's reached the House floor, will be aligned fairly similarly with the formal introduction of the Schumer Senate version uh their Kawa.
3: Kyle, you used the acronym before Kawa. What does that mean?
4: The CAWA is the bill from Majority Leader Schumer, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act.
3: As for the Senate bill, what's the prospects with that going forward?
4: It's hard to make any kind of predictions about what's achievable in the Senate, I would say. We're li- likely looking at requiring 60 votes here, and there's been earlier reporting on some moderate Democrats still expressing some level of skepticism about the just the very concept of legalization. But I think we'll understand a little bit more of the breakdown once we actually see the legislation like filed. But Schumer and his colleagues have been engaging very actively with advocates and stakeholders as they find this legislation. So I think we'll we'll know more in April.
3: And can you imagine any Republicans, I mean the Alaska Senator Murkowski or anybody actually signing on to it? I, I could
4: see that so just without the actual text. That's kind of the go-to response from from these, you know, both uh, on the fence Democrats and and uh, Republican senators. Is you know they need to see the bill text before they they make a decision. But I but I do think, you know, the just the the, the fact that we have a Republican-led alternative introduced and in, and in, you know building the momentum and, and gaining interest, it shows that you know there is an avenue potentially and maybe room for compromise um, as they merge or or discuss the opportunities to incorporate different provisions of these varying bills.
3: It seems like a major divide between Democrats and Republicans is that the Democratic bills really insist on racial equity measures being included, whereas the Republicans really get their backs up against anything like that. Is that your perception?
4: I think so. I think that's right. This has been an ongoing conversation like as they've as they've drafted this. I think that the more focus that you put on equity provisions you know there there's this calculus of you know how much republican support might you be losing i think uh, congressman matt gates is has kind of articulated that position on these more cannabis friendly members of Congress. Um, He was one of the Republicans who voted for the Moore Act in 2020, but expressed a lot of skepticism about the extent to which it addresses and and, uh, provides funding for these equity provisions that advocates are really pushing for, whereas the MACE bill, you know, has attracted both it has attracted bipartisan support, but hers puts a lot of focus on respecting state autonomy and making sure that they're the industries that they've built over time. And so that's an appealing point for, for both parties, I
3: think. I think Nancy Mace has only attracted a half dozen or so co-sponsors among the Republicans, and she says she wants to focus there before going on to Democrats. What's your broader take on where the Republicans are in the House? I mean, are there, in fact, you think, many dozens who would support marijuana legalization if it was Mace's bill as opposed to a Democratic bill?
4: That's hard to say. Um, I mean, it. I, I think that Republicans might be more inclined to support something that was very, very bare bones. That you know, something like a, a, a simple descheduling bill that would remove cannabis from Schedule One. But her bill, you know, is being pitched as this middle ground approach, you know, a lower tax rate than some of the Democratic-led bills that we're talking about, and like I said, a more um, industry-focused approach to these this issue. So, in terms of dozens of Republicans, you know, I, I'd be skeptical about that, but I do think that she's done a good job of of uh, of towing the line on this.
3: It seemed like Nancy Mace came out of almost nowhere to introduce this bill, and nobody was expecting it. Why do you think she's doing? It? It. And what's your sense of how other Republicans are responding?
4: I think that uh, Nancy Mace has has done, and uh, you know, I mean, she has a history both in the South Carolina legislature of of, uh, of backing medical cannabis reform, so she's familiar with this issue. I think she, like many of her colleagues, um, recognized the unpo- unpopularity of criminalization, and she sees this opportunity to to take the lead on something that might you know hopefully be passable from from her perspective legislation
3: why do you think so many republicans remain opposed even when you have polls showing a majority of republicans and a strong majority of young republicans in favor
4: that is the million dollar question ethan <laughs> you know I, I can't i can't say i mean it's perplexing it's you know they con- they hear from their constituents they 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 see these the same pollings that we are that we're covering and following and um and so it's You know, Congress has always been uh, a few steps behind the public on, on this issue, but it's just so overwhelming and increasingly bipartisan that it's hard to square.
3: Any signs that Biden and the White House might get more supportive this year?
4: I don't think so. I mean, the last time that I remember, Press Secretary Saki asked about this, she she made it very clear the president's position on this issue has not changed. And it's, you know, perplexing by the fact that we've seen within this first year of, of him in office, unfulfilled promises on more modest and incremental reforms, whether that's pardons for, for people in federal prison for past cannabis convictions, or, you know, taking steps to at the very least reschedule cannabis as he promised to do on the campaign. Trail, it doesn't exactly give a lot of hope that there's going to be a 180 here and he's going to openly or publicly back this issue, let alone fulfill the more modest reforms that he campaigned on.
3: Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me on Psychoactive. And I just have to say that the writing that you and the co-founder and your co-editor of Marijuana Moment, Tom Angel, have been doing in covering marijuana issues, including Capitol Hill, has been immensely helpful to me. And I encourage our listeners to subscribe and take a look at Marijuana Moment if you want to follow this. Thank you very, very much.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: We'll be talking more after we hear this ad.
0: So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. There's a
6: lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now.
3: Well, now that Kyle's provided the broader context for us, I want to invite on Congresswoman Mace to talk about the marijuana bill she's introduced in Congress, why she did it, And how's it going? So, Congresswoman Mace, thank you so much for joining me on Psychoactive.
2: And thank you for having me. You know, I feel like uh, cannabis, the only place that's really controversial is in D.C. (laughs) I don't know why we haven't done it yet. And it's one of my it's a big frustration of mine in Congress.
3: So tell me why you did it.
2: I have been a supporter of cannabis reform uh, long before I went to Congress. I was a state lawmaker for a few years, and in South Carolina, there's been a push for medical cannabis, and I was one of the co-sponsors when I was in the state legislature. But this goes back further than that. When I was young and growing up, I was 16, and I was raped by a classmate of mine in school, and I dropped out of school, out of high school shortly thereafter, and I had a lot of issues trying to overcome the trauma that I had been through. And I was prescribed antidepressants at the time. And not long into that, um, I felt like the, the prescription drugs I was given was making my depression actually worse and making me feel suicidal. And so I stopped taking the the medicine that was prescribed by my doctor. And I started using cannabis, unbeknownst to me, because I was young and you know, didn't really know a lot about it, but it cut my anxiety Mm -hmm. and helped me get through some really, really difficult times emotionally, mentally, physically in my life. And I used it for a limited period of time, but I saw the benefits that it had, you know, with moderate use for me personally to get through those times, it was better than doing other drugs and drinking, et cetera, but it got me through and cut my anxiety and helped me manage some of the feelings that I had in order to survive basically this really traumatic period of my life.
3: I mean, how did you uh, even come up with the idea to try cannabis back then? I mean, was it friends who suggested it or had you read about it or what was key?
2: No, I mean, it was just, I needed something (laughs) to get through the challenges that I had and then I faced and I had access to it and I used it. And, you know, at the time it was really young, but, you know, you sort of, I'm 44 now and you look back on your life and you understand why some of the experiences that you have, but, you know, emotionally, like for instance, I'm really passionate about veterans issues. And so- When I talked to veterans about PTSD and the high rate of suicides, like, I feel that pain because I've been in that pain. I felt those kinds of emotions. And so for me, it's an issue that I'm personally very passionate about, but you sort of learn it by trial and error, right? Uh, For me, anyway, back in those days, which is one of the reasons, you know, if you want to study it thoroughly for medical, if you want to study marijuana for medical purposes, you've got to deschedule it. And to deschedule it, you have to decriminalize it. There's a whole process here that has to happen. And so it's one of the reasons I'm just so passionate about getting this done and doing it in a way that respects the rights of states because every state is different and it's kind of a patchwork and ensure that we have comprehensive legislation that has something for both Republicans and Democrats in there that we can work on it together. I wanted to prove that it can be done.
3: Well, before we get into the bill itself, I just want to add another sort of personal question, which is, you know, I mean, you at first came to some tension in the media years ago because you were the first woman to graduate in the Corps of Cadets program at South Carolina's state-funded military college, the Citadel. But also, your father is a general. He was the head, the commander, I guess, of the Citadel at that time. He's a highly decorated Vietnam War veteran. He's a former general. How did your dad respond to, A, you're doing that when you were a teenager, recovering from the rape, and also more recently, how does he feel? And even as part of that, I'm curious about how other people in the military, I mean, you obviously have been part of this kind of military world, in at least indirectly, for quite some time. What kind of reaction do you get from your father and from others in that world?
2: You know, when it comes to veterans issues and, and cannabis, my father, you know, is sort of, he has mixed feelings about it. He's sort of more traditional and and is it I think more concerned about I think long term effects and whether or not it's a, it's a gateway product or not I do know that he has been supportive of CBD in South Carolina but when it comes to products with THC he's got more hesitation and he's older. He's what? He's 82. But my mom, who's 80, she's like, if I ever get sick, please, you know, she's you know much more supportive, and she understands the federalism part of it and the states' rights part of it. And so, in my house it, with my parents, it's sort of a, a toss up, I guess. And so, I'm going to take that as a win. If my father, who is 82 and served 28 years in the military, and then my mom, this retired school teacher, I'll take that as as a win. And but you know, I leaned in on this issue. I lean in on issues I really care about. You know, I endorsed cannabis when I. Was running for this seat in 2020 in the general election. I mean, it's something that I ran on, and I think it's bullshit that when you hear people run for office and they say they care about these things and they're going to do something about it, and then they don't do anything about it. And this is an easy win. I mean, this is not difficult. This is something that the vast majority of Americans, Republican or Democrat, they support. I mean, I've seen the data I've pulled. I've in even my own district, and I've seen statewide South Carolina data. But even in like bright red South Carolina, this is a hugely popular issue. And with veterans, but with people from all walks of life, all colors, all zip codes, all income levels, this should not be a difficult thing to do. And I think my dad understands like the PTSD side of it. I mean, he's seen it firsthand too. And I think he understands that part of it and why I'm passionate, but he doesn't like me leaning in on things that he thinks are controversial. (laughs) I see. I think it's for Republicans, especially when we are so divisive, we have to find places to lean in. We can bring people together, and I've done a lot, a lot of work on Dr. Fauci's abuses with beagle puppies in labs, and I've done a lot of cannabis work. And those are places that I've found, far right or far left, people agree. And it shouldn't be difficult. This is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and it, it it shouldn't be that difficult of a fix. And you know, certain candidates ran on it and then didn't do anything about it, which is why I think I've taken the wind out of a lot of people's sails on the issue because we're we're doing it.
3: I love the fact that you've introduced this bill and, you know, it's got a lot of, I mean, there's obviously the Schumer bill out there, together with Booker and Wyden, and then there's Jerry Nadler's MORE Act in the House, which is probably going to come up in March and, and yep. could pass in a very partisan vote, right? I think the last time that the MORE Act went through, I think only a half dozen Democrats voted against it, and only a half dozen Republicans voted in favor of mm-hmm. it. Schumer doesn't even have enough Democrats to get this thing through, and it's unlikely that almost any Republicans will support it. You've put this thing out there, right? And i understand. I understand it, like both your bills and Schumer's bills, they both remove marijuana from Controlled Subsid Act. They both end the federal ban on marijuana. They both allow the states to create and implement their cannabis laws. They both make provisions for interstate cannabis commerce. They both allow cannabis companies to access traditional financial systems. You've made clear you want a lower tax. You put some other provisions in there. You've said you want this to be a talking point. You've also said that, you, that you've that you talked to some Democrats who have said that you could, you'll could you get a hearing on this. Yes. And I wonder, is that going to happen? And is there any kind of quick Quid pro quo where you might vote for the More Act in return for getting a hearing?
2: No, I didn't have to do. There was no quid pro quo and getting a hearing. Personally, you know, I, I want to respect the process. And, and More is going to come up again and let, let Democrats do More Act. It'll die in the Senate. And so when that's done, we will do our hearing. And um, there was nothing done in exchange for it. I just made the ask and uh, we're making it happen. I mean, that's the thing. Like when I ran for office, one of the things I said I would be willing to work with anyone who was willing to work with me. And as a freshman Republican in the minority, I I passed three bills out of the floor of the House last year. And so I have a precedent of reaching across the aisle where I find agreement with the other side and working together. And one of the recent things I heard about Schumer's bill, which is very encouraging, is that he wants to treat cannabis like alcohol, which is what my bill does. And that is a very promising prospect. His taxes are too high. It'll fail in that regard. Everything's negotiable except for the taxation part of it. Because if you don't have a very low federal excise tax, you're only going to guarantee an illicit market. And we've seen that in other states where state taxes are just way too high, where their implementation of cannabis reforms has been troublesome because... They've just taxed it way too high. And they're like in Oregon, for example, the black markets run wild. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that there are provisions in there where taxes are low. And I think that's where you can get Republicans on board. And then my bill, too, has some expungement and release, which is important. Social equity is important. I don't have that in there, but I leave it up to the states to determine if and how and when and where they do that sort of thing. It's very much federalism driven, states rights driven, which is a hugely popular Republican ideal. On the same hand, if you can take that Republican ideal and work with Democrats, which, you know, cannabis legalization is popular everywhere with Democrats. I mean, it's the best of both worlds. And so you got to respect what states are doing because there are only three states in the country that have zero cannabis reforms whatsoever. And so, for example, when I use that statistic, like my state has CBD and hemp. I'm using that as one of the 47 states. And then Florida has medical and, you know, we have other states with full adult use. And so every state's different. And we respect that patchwork, but have the, you have to have interstate commerce uh, constitutionally. But putting that framework together, I want to show a proof of concept that would work. And I don't care who gets it done, but if I can be a part of the conversation and, and drive that change, drive that message, then I want to be a part of it. Because this bill, the States Reform Act, is written about every single week. I mean, people are desperate to get this done and there's never, a better time than the present.
3: Let me press you on this because, you know, obviously this has now become a very partisan issue at the elected officials level, right? I mean, you have the Democrats who, you know, I was always frustrated for many years during my advocacy that they were hanging back, hanging back, taking forever. But now they're almost all on board. I mean, certainly in the House with the Moore Act, you see in the Senate, there's a whole bunch who aren't that keen on it. But you're seeing the Republicans still holding back. And as you pointed out, you know, you already have now, I mean, years ago, you had a majority of young Republicans in favor. You know, you now, I think, have a majority of all Republicans. Republicans in favor. But when you look at elected officials, they're not there, right? You look at the Republicans representing the states that have legalized marijuana. And I think with one exception, Murkowski, they're not back in marijuana legalization. You look at the House Act, they're, they're not getting behind it. You see in, in South Dakota, where the Republican governor, Christy Noem, went out of her way to try to get rid of a legalization initiative that had passed by an overwhelming margin in the election. Is it that the Republicans in the House, they just don't want to give the Democrats a victory while they still have it? Is this going to change dramatically, assuming the Republicans take back power in the coming election. I mean, are there, in fact, many dozens and dozens of Republican members of Congress who actually are in favor of this, but just don't feel ready to you know, stick their head up yet and join you on this thing? What's going on there?
2: Yeah. And I, I would say um, it's crazy. And it's sort of like, I, yeah, I had the head of my own party in my state attacked me over this bill. And I was like, dude, you didn't read the bill. Like, if that's your position, you clearly didn't read the bill and don't know what you're talking about. In the state of South Carolina, bright red South Carolina, it is Republicans who are leading cannabis reforms in our state. They did CBD and hemp. And hopefully, across my fingers, they're going to get medical cannabis moved through. It was a Republican state senator, Tom Davis, out of my district. And it's largely out of Republicans in my district in the low country of South Carolina that are leading on cannabis reform. But he's the one that's leading the the medical cannabis side of it in the state. And it's Republicans doing this in my state. Um, But then it's also you got the Republicans that are pushing back. And like many other issues, uh, people are worried about their base, which is why even after November of 2020... Senate split 50-50. Pelosi has a four person majority margin in the House. It's you would think that Congress would understand this is time for consensus, right? This is not time to go far left, socialist, massive spending, help the race to inflation, increasing the way it is. But this not isn't for that moment. You would think that people would understand it. It's about consensus building right now because we're so divided. But the fringes and whether that's like far left progressives or far right QAnon. People that base in your primaries—that's what I feel like you know people are afraid of. But my only thing is, if you're not going to put it on a ballot referendum, poll it. I mean, it just polls so high. And in fact, I did a poll just a couple of days ago for my own like reelection, and I polled Republican primary voters on cannabis reform and at the at states being able to do it themselves, and it is extremely popular and more wildly popular than I thought. And I obviously didn't do it for that, but. It's surprising that there's so much pushback and, you know, the 10 percent of people that are strongly opposed to it. Well, they don't vote on the issue. And I just don't understand. Some people think I'm controversial or take risks. I don't need to. But I just, you know, we need normal humans (laughs) that are fiscally conservative, like don't waste my money and are socially modern. Right. And just like this is everybody's doing it. They're doing it for different reasons. A lot of it's for medical reasons. And you've got all these drugs that are addicting that are being prescribed to people. And you have all this data out there in states that have an opioid crisis. When you have cannabis legalized there in any way, shape, or form, you know, those addiction rates go down, morbidity goes down, everything goes down, and there's no Rate of increased rate of, of violent crime when you have cannabis in your state. I mean, it's just yeah, the data is there. But I think you know, it's a taking it's about educating people who are elected, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's like this is not controversial as controversial as you think. And even in the last four years, Republicans have come really, really far on these issues. But I think it's how we talk about it, you know, and understanding you know, the role of the federal government and the role of states and understanding that, hey, vets need this. We have a huge veteran suicide rate. And if this could save a life, whether you're dying of cancer or you've got epilepsy, I mean, whatever it is, this is like a miracle drug for some people. And it's not addicting, right? They're not getting addicted to it. You're not, you know, and I talk to sheriffs and law enforcement and deputies and when they're being called into domestic violence or violent crimes, pot is not part of the problem. I mean, it's just not. And so, I would just encourage elected republicans is like find out like where your constituents actually stand on the issue and that could be via a poll that could be a ballot measure ballot referendum like is the most popular issue <laughs> the, the data that I have on it that I just got yesterday was just tremendous i could not believe how popular it was
3: Let's take a break here and go to an
7: ad
3: I have to tell you, I mean, for me, you know, who pursued this in a bipartisan way as an advocate for many years, you know, going back, you know, I mean, the two most famous conservative intellectuals, you know, of the 20th century, William Buckley and Milton Friedman, were my allies. I had George Shultz and Frank Carlucci on the honorary board of my drug policy alliance. You know, Gary Johnson, the former Republican governor of New Mexico, was a great champion, way ahead of the curve. But at the same time, as you're pointing out, the Republicans keep hanging back and, and fighting against this. And so I just want to go to your district. Right. I mean, you're going to be up for election, as all members of Congress are every two years. Now, your district was really one of the few competitive ones. I think the only competitive one in South Carolina, a Democrat actually won it you know, back in 2018 by one and a half points. You beat them by about one and a half points in the most recent election. Now, as I understand it, there's been a redistricting in your state. The governor just signed it. It means that your district is now going to go from being somewhat competitive to being a fairly safe Republican district. And I know the state and NAACP is suing to try to fight that. But let's assume that doesn't change at all. Now, it seems to me you're now going to have a Republican challenger. And, and Donald Trump has jumped all over you. You know, he, you're one of the Republicans who he's decided he's going to go after. And the Republican who's challenging the primary, she just put out an ad, you know, which she says, is Nancy Mace high? Right now, is there some reason that that to believe that she's going to benefit from attacking you in this kind of under the belt kind of way?
2: Yeah, it's really it's it's quite bizarre, quite frankly. And when you compare records, for example, my my opponent, uh, when President Trump was lowering taxes for the American people, my opponent was raising them when president Trump was signing the first step act prison reform bill and doing criminal justice reform, my opponent was working against me on criminal justice reform, prison reform legislation in the state legislature. Cause we, we serve together. You know, I can be trusted with our nation's secrets. My opponent uh, had her top secret security clearance revoked for allegedly leaking classified information. And it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> I don't quite understand it. And with regards to redistricting and everything, I don't know that it is going to get that much more Republican this cycle. We're waiting to hear what the court says, but they might stay the case and not do the case until later this year. And so at this juncture, we're not sure if we're running under the old lines, which is the area I represent today, or the new lines that both chambers of the state legislature passed. We just at this point, we just have no idea. But the interesting thing is from 2016, when Trump overwhelmingly in South Carolina to 2018, when my opponent was a nominee back in those days, there was a 14 point swing in the wrong direction. And so this is really a swing district. And in a midterm election cycle, this district can swing 15 points, right? From being a Republican majority to a Democrat winning. And so I would say that my district is uniquely positioned there. Our voters are uniquely astute on policy and on the issues. And we do march to the beat of our own drum. They don't want someone who's going to toe the party line. They want somebody who's fiscally conservative, um, socially moderate uh, on these issues. And so it's interesting to see the kind of campaign that's coming after me and the attacks. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you really think, please talk more. <laughs> please uh, tell everybody that's, what, that's where you stand. <laughs>
3: So let me ask you about the other South Carolina politicians here, right? I think there's six Republicans and one Democrat there, but I don't know that any of them have stepped out with you as yet. The one, the one Democrat, James Clyburn, who's enormously influential, you know, the black Democrat who was given all this credit for having put Joe Biden and helped him along in the primary, you know, he's part of that kind of group of, I think, southern black Democrats who've always been kind of reluctant and just go along on the drug reform and marijuana reform when they're pushed by the party. But you also have in South Carolina, I think, the only Black Republican Senator, Tim Scott. And you've been very out there pointing out the racial disparities in marijuana arrests, the fact that Blacks are four times more likely to get arrested. You've acknowledged there's a significant racial justice issue there. Have you talked with Senator Scott about this? And has he shown any openness or sympathy I have not talked
2: to Senator Scott specifically about this bill. We are talking to other senators um, in the Senate chamber about having a companion bill filed over there. And so... We're talking to a couple of different offices about that. I tend to lean in on issues again. For some reason, you know, I think there's a reluctance even you know, in my party, um, in my state of folks to lean in on these kinds of things. I know statewide um, cannabis reform, at least medical, is also wildly popular. Like 70% of the population supports it statewide in bright red South Carolina. But it's just a matter of, I think, educating people and showing the value and the benefit of doing it this way. I don't know why it's so such a controversial sub- subject for some, but yeah. I've, not, I've not approached him because I just, you know, I don't know that he would, would be on board. I know that he and I do talk about criminal justice reform and he's tried, he's worked so hard trying to make that happen in the Senate. But it, again, that's an issue where I would, you'd think Republicans and Democrats can come together and he's led so well on those issues, but even he's had a hard time in the Senate. Um, making that happen as well.
3: Right. I've been wondering about Senator Murkowski. I mean, she's another one who Trump's going after. She comes from a state that has legalized marijuana. Don Young, the kind of longest serving member of Congress, who's from Alaska, has been out there in marijuana legalization forever. Have you talked to Murkowski? And Is she somebody who might introduce a bill in the Senate that would be a companion? to I yours? am not.
2: She's not on our radar for that. We're looking at other offices. Um, but Don Young, he's an original co-sponsor of my States Reform Act. So uh, my bill had the h- highest numbers, five, I believe, original co-sponsors on a Republican piece of uh, cannabis legislation. And he was, I think he was the first one to sign on. <laughs> so I love yeah. some, Don, some Don Young. I think he, he's great. He represents his district well, but we have not spoken to Murkowski's office about it.
3: Yeah, my hope really is, is that, you know, I, I think back to good old Dana Rohrabacher. I mean, when I and my staff started working on one of the first marijuana bills in Congress almost 20 years ago, and it was an amendment. And it basically said to say the Justice Department cannot spend any money going after medical marijuana in the states that have legalized it. And Dana Rohrabacher was the Republican who was out there. He was teaming up with different Democrats, uh, Sam Farr from California, Maurice Hinchy from upstate New York. And every year, you know, the Democrats would get 70, 80, 100, 120. And the Republicans would go 6, 8, 10. 12, 14, and it never really kind of popped through with the Republicans, even on medical marijuana. But more broadly, can you see there being a kind of sudden break, a sudden jump where it goes from being a half dozen Republicans in the House to being many dozens and dozens, especially if the Republicans regain power in in, in the coming election?
2: I would say anything's possible after the primaries are over. <laughs> That's the thing. Everyone, uh-huh. you know, they've got their primaries. And so Uh, That's why you're going to see, I think, Democrats do more in March right before their primaries take off and why you'll see Republicans, more Republicans come on to the state's reform act after their primaries are over. So I would say politics plays into this on both sides. I, I have a very unique district where we have more of an independent kind of streak. We march to the beat of our own drum. And the issues that I that I lean in on are issues that my constituents care about. And so I know that I'm in the right place. I'm in the right spot. I mean, even adult recreational use in my district is the overwhelming majority of constituent support. So for me, it's a, it's not a controversial play down here, um, but for others, I can see where maybe they'd be more hesitant about it. But not that's not the case in my district, I guess. And if you're against cannabis in my district, you know, you're not on the right side of history.
3: You know, it's nice seeing Charles Koch and his Americans for Prosperity organization really get behind you on this sort of thing. And this is one of these issues where you see Charles Koch and George Soros going hand in hand. I mean, there's a few issues like that. But if Koch said he's going to spend, either his people have said they're going to spend millions of dollars to help move this forward. I mean, have you been in contact with them? Do you have any sense how they're going to weigh in on this? Americans for
2: Prosperity, they supported me in my election in 2020. And. We definitely, you know, took some of the information and research that they had when we were formulating this bill. This bill was my brainchild, uh, and I passed it off to my staff almost a year ago. I guess it was March of last year. It took us about nine months, but talking with different stakeholders. But I have Republican groups like AFP involved in supportive and endorse this bill. I've got Normal also on the other side that has endorsed the bill. And then we've got companies like Amazon that support the bill for different reasons. There's progress that is happening on the right. And... AFP's involvement in leaning in on the issue, I think, will really be helpful to Republicans and encouraging them to get on board with responsible cannabis reform. And that's the least we could ask for. And if you want to do it in a responsible way, then both sides have to be, have to have a seat at the table. And that includes us and our party. If we turn our backs on it, then we've missed a huge opportunity to serve our constituencies.
3: Mm-hmm. What about Grover Norquist? Has he leaned yes, in on this?
2: The, um, I know that they've put out, I believe, some information on the tax side of it, and they support the bill as well because it's obviously very low taxes at 3% federal excise tax. And so a lot of the conservative tax groups are supportive of the bill in, the, in that regard as well, which is pretty awesome.
3: That's, that's, that's great. I mean, Grover Norquist has been a longtime ally on drug policy reform stuff, so i hope he'd be in on this. So I'm going to let you go in a moment. Just I have a question here. There's another issue that's really gaining a lot of traction recently, and that's about the issue of psychedelics. And, you know, there's a very good chance the FDA is going to approve MDMA for PTSD uh, in the next year or two. There's all this evidence about, you know, psychedelics being helpful for veterans suffering from this. Former Texas Governor Rick Perry and a former Trump cabinet minister has been out there. Texas just recently passed a law. You know, there's a fellow Named Jesse Gould, a veteran with his Heroic Hearts Project, who's making trying to make psychedelic therapy available to veterans, is this an issue you've looked at? Have you spoken about? Can you see getting involved? I have in not as well?
2: deeply into the issue. About two years ago, I had a friend who's a veteran that started participate in one of these MDMA studies with PTSD. And so I am still learning about the issue and some of the opportunities out there. But again, these things need to be studied. (laughs) Like we need to be able to do this kind of research and understand the benefits or uh, the positives and the negatives, what the outcomes could be. Because some of the pharmaceuticals that are out there, some of the drugs you can get prescribed, I mean, have such high addiction rates. uh, And it sometimes can exacerbate PTSD and can exacerbate suicide rates. And so I think everything should be on the table. If it can make you feel better and uh, reduce the rate of suicide when you come home from war and from combat, then everything should be on the table. We should do right by our veterans and find ways for them to have a higher quality of life. I mean, they were willing to take a bullet for our country. The least we can do is help them when they come home.
3: Okay. Last question. I hope I don't blindside you with this one, which is one of the issues that's kind of driven me crazy, especially with my fellow Democrats, is the whole issue around e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction. And everybody freaked out when the kids started juuling and using all the e-cigarettes, but there's this overwhelming evidence, right, that e-cigarettes and other, you know, non-smokable forms of tobacco can be hugely beneficial in reducing smoking in this country and a number of people dying on this issue. And this is an issue where, strangely, a lot of the Democrats who have been very supportive of, you know, marijuana legalization harm reduction, drug policy reform, needle exchange, you name it, have been on the wrong side of the issue. But almost no Republicans are stepping up on the other side of this issue. Have you paid attention to this issue?
2: In the state legislature, we did because a lot of those reforms with the jewels and the e-cigarettes, those provisions, those regulations, statutes and laws are largely done at the state level. And I know that we did a little bit of work on that when I was in the state legislature, but the federal level its not something I've heard a lot about. Since I've been elected, my focus has really been on this cannabis bill because I knew like, hey, (laughs) I wanted to be a part of it at the state level. And when I got to Congress, this was something that I promised I would work on. And I had this great idea and I was like, we're going to do this. And so that's where my focus has really been. I haven't seen anything at the federal level um, on e-cigarette issues at this juncture yet.
3: Okay, well, listen, Congressman Mays, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you kick the butt of your Republican primary (laughs) opponent. I hope you wipe her out. I wish you all the best in advancing this bill and working out compromises with the Democrats so something can actually happen on the federal level and uh, more power to you on all of this. Thank you so much for joining me on Psychoactive.
2: And thank you so much for having me today.
3: If you're enjoying Psychoactive, please tell your friends about it. Or you can write us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your own stories, comments, and ideas, then leave us a message at 1-833-779-2460. That's 833-PSYCHO-0. Or you can email us at psychoactiveprotozoa.com at or find me on Twitter at Ethan Nadelman. You can also find contact information in our show notes. Psychoactive is a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. It's hosted by me, Ethan Nadelman. It's produced by Noam Osband and Josh Thane. The executive producers are Dylan Golden, Ari Handel, Elizabeth Giesis, and Darren Aronofsky from Protozoa Pictures, Alex Williams and Matt Frederick from iHeartRadio, and me, Ethan Nadelman. Our music is by Ari Belusian, and a special thanks to Avivit Bar-Yosef, Bianca Grimshaw, and Robert Beebe.
1: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances.